So I'm wearing the handheld one. Volume okay? Okay. Uh, good morning. My name's Ann Eustace, and I'm um, a newly um, installed elder here at St. John. Uh, I was uh, touched when the epistle lectionary reading a couple days ago uh, from First Timothy said that elders receive double honor. Guess what the honor is? You get to both preach and to teach. Today I get to preach. Tomorrow I teach, beginning yet another semester at the university, training teachers. And uh, anybody know anybody? We have 2,000 vacancies right now in Maryland, so teacher shortage is something to keep in your prayers. Um, so I've... Uh, crafted um, prayers for opening and closing that come from the lectionary uh, this week, um, from both Psalm 40 and Psalm 15 as an opening prayer. Please join me in prayer. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, O Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, the one who does what is righteous, the one who speaks truth from their heart. Amen. The message today um, is coming in our ordinary, which we determined was extraordinary, section of our um, church year. And, and so we're in ordinary time, but we're going through Matthew in year three, or year C, year one. Okay, got it, in, the, in this year. And um, so Matthew's year one, and last week I got to read about um, Jesus calling the disciples, and we were commanded to what? Fish for people. So um, today, with... Uh, the daunting task of receiving the Beatitudes as my uh, text. Um, I'm trying to have it be my attitude of um, being and, and adopting those. So a little play on words there. But Dan said, you know, this text is referred to as the kingdom manifesto because remember, we're trying to have that break, breaking in of the kingdom and the Jesus kingdom. According to Merriam-Webster, the meaning of manifesto uh, today, is a written statement declaring publicly the intentions, the motives, or the views of the issuer. And so if we think about what Jesus intended, I believe that this manifesto word fits. We can agree, I hope, that the Beatitudes are viewed as what would be an important bedrock of our faith, and it's revealing Jesus's basic understanding of blessing. The Sermon on the Mount, as you know, comes right after Jesus has recently been launched onto the scene, and Matthew told us last week that his fame has been spreading. His record, Matthew's, is consistent with what Dan taught us about last week. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah, but this Lord and King is not at all what the people or maybe we were expecting. His coming brings a radical revolution rooted in repentance and forgiveness. The kingdom is at hand, and right now, we need to repent and believe. And I feel like that's my mantra for every day. So as I prepared for today, 
I was like, all right, this is just a daunting task, but I am going to drill down on righteousness. Righteousness has been a theme with me for a while now, especially because I've made a commitment not to be self-righteous. Uh, so in looking for um, help, I found this great article that I'm going to um, paraphrase and quote from at some length, and it's coming from... Um, an article in a magazine called Table Talk from 2017, and I can give you the proper citation if you want later. The first four Beatitudes all describe the needs of a disciple. Jesus first said in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to know one's spiritual neediness and dependence on God. This beatitude leads to the second, blessed are those who mourn. The poor in spirit mourn their poverty. They mourn their own sin first, but then they mourn all sin. This is a blessed mourning, since God will comfort those who mourn over sin. The second beatitude leads to the third, blessed are the meek. Those who know their spiritual poverty and mourn they mourn it, the poverty, they will be meek. To be meek is the opposite of arrogance, jealousy, and selfish ambition. Meekness contrasts with the self-assertion that is born of selfishness. Because the meek know their spiritual poverty and they mourn it, they refuse to exalt themselves. And then to verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is what is considered the pivotal beatitude. If disciples know their sin and their weakness, they will also ask God to meet their need for righteousness. Hunger and thirst seem like metaphors that don't resonate today as they might have in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, food and water were scarce, and people were often truly hungry and thirsty. In our culture, food and water are plentiful, so we miss the urgency that Jesus intended. Hungry, thirsty people work hard. They work urgently to gain food. To hunger and thirst for righteousness, then, means that we should urgently pursue righteousness. And this righteousness refers to, in my case, personal righteousness, the personal righteousness of disciples who put aside murder, anger, adultery. They give in to oppressors, and they love their enemies. Thirsty disciples also pursue the mercy, purity, and peacemaking of the next few Beatitudes. From verses 7 to 9, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to yearn for God's rule in our lives, it is to have a thirst for God's word and for the company of the godly. In scripture, righteousness has several aspects. First, there is this personal righteousness, which we are stressing. This hunger for personal righteousness leads us to uproot our sin by the power of the Holy Spirit and become more like Jesus. This is what we call sanctification. The article I study goes on to look at other forms of righteousness, like a legal sense and like the moral legal part and then the societal sense, but I feel like today I need to keep things personal. 
So to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to state again, is to yearn for God's rule in our lives. It is to have a thirst for God's word and the company of the godly. I see this yearning as a critical mark of discipleship in us wanting to bring others to Christ through love and through righteousness. We are tasked to be following Jesus as both a shepherd and a sheep simultaneously. Jesus remains our good shepherd at the same time as we need to be about the practice of shepherding others. So I ask you, what does this quest for personal righteousness look like for you in this day and time? And what does it look like for me? Some of you know I keep leaving my Bible in church, so today I I purposely left it at home. But if you see it, it looks like I've been eating it. So my, um, my thirst and hunger for the word has really affected my Bible. Um, I want to tell you that my mantra has been to eat this book, the Bible. Like, I'm hungry for it. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. So I figured, you know, I should eat it. Um, I want you to know that daily lectionary readings have become my new breakfast um, because there's just so much to learn. And Stephen told you, reminded you, and I feel like we're trying to really hit it home here, but prayer is what we're all about right now. And prayer for all um, has expanded. And the new prayer for all model is making that practice of learning from the lectionary so accessible. Each morning, Monday through Thursday, we take turns reading the scriptures and unpack them together on Zoom. You can also come Monday and Wednesday night. Dan helps us see connections amongst the lectionary readings, and for me, it's been truly revelatory. We are now seeing that prayer is truly meant to be done together. And on the days when we can't meet or aren't aren't able to meet or I have meetings or class, we try to maintain this practice in our own homes. I tell you, it's getting easier and easier. So please join us or consider doing so at home. And as the old um, advertisement said, try it, you'll like it. So the the food is the Bible, and then drinking the living water, for me, has been about telling of story and testimony. And I wanted to just give a shout-out, if you saw Friday's uh, update, LaDonna has her testimony, and we really, really want you all to to be telling your stories, and we have many ways that where you could do this. So please remember, we want to hear your stories. But... um, Training in the sermons has taught me that you want to have three good stories, so I'm going to give you two from the Bible and one from me, okay? And I promise the Bible ones are better. (laughs) So in John's Gospel, chapter 3, there was this story about living water. Now there was a man of the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So this is important, being born again. John's gospel continues in chapter, chapter 4, and Jesus moves from the Pharisees onward on his way back to Galilee and is in Samaria. He meets a Samaritan woman at the well in John's gospel, chapter 4, and she basically states, I would like some of that living water, please. And for me, she's the manifestation of what Nicodemus was told to do, the rebirth. She becomes a living and breathing Bible to so many people as she spreads the good news following her own conversion. To quote from John's Gospel briefly, Jesus answered the woman, Everyone who drinks this well water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So these stories prompt me to share um, a small part of my own story, my personal gospel. As I've lived a very long time now, I have many stories, but I don't think I've ever told you this one. But I'd encourage each of you, as I said before, find your story, find something old, find something new, and let us know, because we're looking for ways to spread the good news. So for my personal testimony, it's a little bit raw, but I wanted to be real, to be honest with you, like the woman at the well. Way back, Alan's the only one that knows this part, I was um, a really mean little girl. I was what you would call a mean girl, um, leading a group of mean girls in our middle school. Um, kind of like a gang leader, honestly. Um, I had my, my group. And to feel better about myself, I would find ways to make fun of other people and then that would get more of these mean girls to join me. But at the same time, exact same time, I was going through my uh, two years of Lutheran confirmation, and we were studying all the time and memorizing things and getting confirmed. And even at the time that I had that duality, I could recognize the, the hypocrisy. But jump ahead to today, um, our friend, um, and discipleship trainer Paul McConaughey taught me about the certainty of prayers being answered if I could only get rid of my own agenda and allow space for God's agenda. So I can see this now, um, but at the time, I just thought that God wasn't hearing my prayers. But he told me God's timing on praying is perfect. He said that prayers will be answered either before the cross when we submit, on the cross while we're suffering, or after the cross once we're in glory. For me, after middle school, when I got to high school, my ninth grade year was when all three of these, the before the cross, on the cross, and after, came together. You see, um, my dad took me to a medical appointment in February of ninth grade, and it was with our family doctor, who was a really close friend, and he stayed in with with Dr. A for a long time after the appointment, and I thought something was mortally wrong with me. It turned out there was something mortally wrong with my, my dad. He was really advanced in leukemia and had been hiding, um, sorry, lymphoma and leukemia, but hiding it from all of us. And so um, suddenly 
he was sick, and in my way of thinking, I had caused it somehow because I took him to the doctor. And I went on this whole prayer tirade, you know, and I just prayed and prayed and prayed that his life would be spared. Um, I thought that, like, you know, that was the only answer and that the timing should be my timing. Instead, um, well, I was so convinced that he was going to live that I convinced my sisters, the younger and the older one, that we should all go to this horse camp. And we went, and I was like, he's going to be healed while we're gone, and, and it's all okay. Instead, um, my surrogate mom and my godfather uncle had to come to us early, get us home, and we ended up having 24 hours before he, he died at home. And as a 15-year-old, it was you know, really, really confusing. Um, my sisters were mad at me for decades, but I didn't know what else to do. But I was able to minister to dad, and he asked me to read to him from the Bible, and we prayed, and, and I feel like I wanted his life to be spared, but instead it got saved. And the thing was is that I ended up being saved too. It just took a little bit longer. One of the kids that I made fun of in middle school followed me to high school and has become a lifelong friend. She stuck with me, and her faithfulness was honestly like that woman at the well. She would just check on me all the time and invite me weekly to um, a prayer group and Bible study that was FCA-sponsored. Coach Craig helped me come to Jesus. And so... um, Soon after that fall, um, when Dad had died in July, um, I made a personal commitment and turned my life around. And, and I want everybody to know that, that you can be born again, that we are not captive to those mean girls that were inside us. We can be repentant, forgiven, and, and go forth and serve. So my both invitation and challenge for you today is that, like, What's it about for you today? Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to believe? And what will quench your thirst and satisfy your hunger? We're told that we get a fresh start and we get new mercies every single day. Um, My helpers, if you could um, pass out the little half sheets of paper at this moment. And those of you at home, I just need for you to um, take a, a half sheet and fold it in half again. And, or just use any little scrap. You just need, you're going to write two different things, so you just need two halves. The start of the year is often a good time to do this. Um, on one half, you want to write the word stop, S-T-O-P. And then on the other half, start. Kind of a basic concept of physics, right? You have to make room for something to have room for something else. So what can you consider stopping? Maybe it's some kind of form of repentance. What can you stop in order to have room to start something new? So what resonates with you about this idea that comes from um, a Proverbs reading earlier this week? Um, Scripture tells us, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter until the full light of day. What resonates with you that you might stop? What might you start? The teacher in me will model for you. On my stop, I wrote, stop grumbling and complaining, as that was in Philippians this week in the lectionary. That one allowed a lot of room. And so on the start side, 
I made, I'm making a commitment during when I want to complain, I start praying for Alan and the team um, of Cross Country Mission. And, and I'm filling that space with like really concrete prayer for this mission trip. So if you take a second and try to think of what can I stop? For personal righteousness. If you don't have time to do it right now, just write stop and start, and you can go back to it later. I'd like you to consider um, a place to hold yourself accountable. Who could hold you accountable following um, up on what you're writing? Do you have a prayer partner? My prayer partner and I text every night before bed. Um, Do you have maybe a family member or a faith family member who could hold you accountable? Are you in a life group, and is there someone there who could hold you accountable? Not to let a second go by, I brought all the life group literature, so if anybody wants to hear about it, we have six groups, and there's always room for more in those groups and to start new groups. So think about it. Think about the idea that we can always um, turn ourselves around. Dan wanted me to remind you that the Beatitudes is just the introduction. Okay, so the rest of Matthew is going to be all these examples of how to live this out. So you're going to have to make your own personal idea of how it fits, and I want you to start that today. So in closing, from yesterday's gospel, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus loves me this I know because the Bible told me so. And they, another song from our youth, they will know that we are Christians by our love. And from this morning's um, Old Testament, for God has told you, O mortal, what is good and what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let this be our personal righteousness. Let us walk together and take one next step. Amen. And the band um, can come up for a response song.